0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the My Mike and I podcast. I am Noah Alvarez, your host. I want to thank everybody that's tuning in, whether you're a day one listener or relatively new to the show. I want to say I greatly appreciate you and all the support that I've received throughout the process of this podcast. Episode 79, you're really glad to have make it this far. Uh, when we do episode 100, man, we're going to have to uh, do something special for episode 100 because... And hitting the century mark i really didn't think that was feasible when i first started this podcast so it's come a long way really appreciate everyone and the support that i've gotten for this show episode 79 before we get into this week's show I do want to thank generic sports for producing a funky instrumental in the background you can check out more of his work at soundcloud.com generic sports also search twitter and instagram generic sports same thing. He, a lot, he produces a lot of, uh, or he produces, yes, but he also posts a lot of his newer work on those social media platforms, so definitely be sure to give him a follow. Also, shout out to my boy Vince Correa. He helped design the My Mike and I logo that you are seeing in your screen. He's also working on a new My Mike and I logo. So big things coming for the My Mike and I podcast. Shout out to both of those guys for helping out with the show. Much love to both of them. Did want to remind you guys that this podcast is available on Spotify, on Apple, on Stitcher, on TuneIn, on Google Play, on SoundCloud too. It's on practically every social platform that you could think of for listening to podcasts. I'd greatly appreciate it if you guys could leave a rating and a review. Follow us, subscribe, share us with your friends too. Word of mouth is a great way to spread the word of the podcast. Would greatly appreciate any support as far as when it comes to advertisement and promoting this show. It's just me out here, you know. I got a lot of different things going on. I'm doing my best to produce the podcast on a weekly basis, um, just to kind of plug some of my other stuff. Search KBPK on YouTube.com, and you'll find a lot of the work that I do for the Fullerton College internship that I have. It's we do a weekly coaches show covering all the Fullerton College sports in or at Fullerton College uh, from everything from volleyball to football to soccer you name it so that's been a lot of fun occupies a lot of my time that's probably where the majority of my time during the week goes and then uh, I also write for the ball out I had a column come out this week was finishing it up over the weekend and it came out earlier this week talking about Joe Burrow and the matchup the LSU Tigers have this weekend with Alabama Crimson Tide one versus two Crazy college football matchup. If you like college football, definitely be sure to check that article out at theballout.com. Search Noah Alvarez. The, the title of my column is Outside the Hashes. Be sure. I try to make that a weekly basis, but I've been struggling lately. Because with the Coaches Show. Because with the my Mike and I podcast. Because with writing the articles. Plus, your boy works two different jobs. Just trying to hold it down. It's a struggle out here, but I'm doing my best. And I'm trying to have the right amount of sleep and a, a social life too. Trying to mix it in there while also staying in shape and whatnot. So, yeah, man, it's it's a struggle, it's a grind. But we all about the grind here at the Mike and I podcast. So greatly appreciate everyone that's listening and for all your support. Before we get into this week's show, I did want to say this podcast is also available on the Big Heads Podcast Network, which is home to many great podcasts, including How I Met Your Friends. If you're a fan of Friends or How I Met Your Mother, this is a show right up your alley, so here's a commercial describing a little bit more about their show. Do you watch Friends? Do you watch How I Met Your Mother? Then Then you should listen listen to to How How I Met Met Your Your Friends.
1: Hi, I'm Kathleen.
0: And I'm Julie, and we are the ladies behind How I Met Your Friends, the podcast that explores the similarities and theories of Friends and How I Met Your Mother.
2: Every week, we watch an episode from each show and dive deep into the crossovers and catchphrases. So if you've ever noticed the similarities between these fantastic shows, come check out our podcast. You can
0: reach us on social media at HowIMetYourFriendsPod or email HowIMetYourFriendsPod at gmail.com. Boom, Noah Alvarez back in action here with the My Mike and I podcast. Let's make this quick relatively quick intro no listener interaction question of the week but I did want to talk really quickly about Cam Newton because Cam Newton officially went on the injured reserve ending his season with the Carolina Panthers this year really sad to see because as a fan of the Carolina Panthers Cam Newton brought so much life so much energy to this team for the past since he was drafted back in 2011 really and to see all the national sports outlets, the sports media outlets just bashing him or just saying, you know, he was, a pro- he was a problem in the locker room or he was injury prone. Before this year, he had only missed five games. Cut that noise out. He was not injury prone. He literally got in a car accident where his truck flipped and played in the game that same Sunday. Uh, so it's been really unfortunate, man. He's been plagued with injuries the past two seasons and I'm not going to lie. It's been extremely disappointing because you feel the the got for the Panthers to win or contend for a Super Bowl is now closing you know and they had a good chance in Super Bowl 50 against the Denver Broncos that you know shit happened and it didn't work out for that year and they were just kind of competitive hanging in there year in and year out this year they're looking pretty good and you were hoping that Kyle Allen was going to eventually come back or excuse me you you you, you were expecting Kyle Allen to kind of hold it down for the team until Cam Newen came back and with that news just this past week, Nguyen will no longer be coming back for the 2019 season. I'm sad, I'm bummed, but I still believe in Cam, get that straight, I believe in Cam that he's going to come back next year better, stronger, faster than ever. It might be his last year, I mean he only has one more year under contract for the Carolina Panthers, I think the Panthers are going to give him that shot to stay because Kyle Allen really has been very, very mediocre, very subpar at times even. Uh, Cam Newton can still do some special things, I believe. Let him get fully healthy. Let that foot get fully healthy. Let that shoulder get fully healthy. And let's make one more run at it next year in 2020. Hopefully that's the Panthers' thing. Um, Something to keep an eye on during, you know, as the season progresses as well as the off season. But now into this week's show, episode 79 of the My Mike and I podcast. On this week's show, I have a guest and, you know, every guest is special, I guess, but For me, this guest is a little bit more special because I wouldn't be here doing this podcast if it wasn't for this individual. That individual is Andrew Pasquini. He's a current writer for Niners Wire at USA Today. Um, Really talented multimedia journalist. He was a sports director at KSSU, the student-run radio station at Sacramento State when I was there. Really helped me get comfortable and familiar with the microphone and how things are formatted really helped me get familiar with different sports too and broadcasting different games and you know he eventually gave me the chance to be the sports director next year or the following year my senior year at sacramento state but yeah just a lot of fun learned so much from andrew pasquini uh great dude he's like i said doing big things for the niners wire writing about all about the san francisco 49ers so we talk about a large chunk of that large chunk of the show is about the 49ers and their crazy eight and O start to the season. We also talk about the NCAA and their recent statement that they came out with a week and a half ago. At this time, at the time the podcast was released, it'll be about almost two weeks. It came out two Tuesdays ago, towards the end of October, uh, basically saying that they. Uh, well, we'll talk about it more on the show. Just listen to the show for that. And then we also talk a little bit, too, about breaking into the sports broadcasting industry, too, because he's, you know, right up the same alley I am doing a lot of different things, trying to break through and get a job, get paid in this industry. But it's tough. So we talk a little bit about our struggles. And yeah, really fun episode. Big thanks to Andrew Pasquini for being on the show again. Without further ado, hope you enjoy the conversation between Andrew Pasquini and I. The last Tuesday, a week from today's recording, the NCAA released a uh, public statement saying they're going to try and clear the way for athletes to profit off their likeness, and at first glance, Andrew, it kind of looked like this was going to be good news. It, It sounded like it was good news for NCAA and the athletes and whatnot, and I liked how in our group message, you sent out an article from USA Today, and I thought it was very informative, but what was your overall... Impressions to the uh, news that broke last Tuesday with the NCAA?
2: I mean, I think I had really the same impression everybody else had was this is really good news. that, You know, it still is. It's not like it's bad news. They're still giving the ability to, for each you know, division, to allow players to profit off their name. Um, all it really is, though, I guess it,
1: it, it ended up
2: being, was just the PR stuff for the NCAA to allow players to make money off their own name, but really haven't done anything yet. You know, the, you read the fine print of their announcement, it's just pretty much the NCAA say, hey, at division, division 1, Division 2, Division 3, I know that's not what it's called anymore, but they can make it in my head as Division 1, Division 2, and Division 3. You guys can each make the divi- decision on if you're allowing your conferences to allow their players to make money off their own game. So... It's a start. It's really a start, and it's good that the state of California is the reason why they, uh, they've made this decision, but it really doesn't mean
1: anything yet. hmm
0: Yeah, you mentioned in California, State Senator Nancy Skinner wrote that bill that kind of signed into a law basically prohibiting California schools from punishing their athletes for accepting any endorsements, and that's going to start back in uh, 2000. And The plan for that is to start in 2021. So that's kind of like how the timeline started. And in, in May this year, the NCAA created a working group to kind of uh, ease off the lawmakers that proposed bills um, that would hurt the NCAA's endorsement deals and make them illegal. So the NCAA is trying. And one of the words, though, the wording from their statement was kind of confusing because in their statement, they said, in a manner consistent with the collegiate model, but the current model doesn't allow athletes to get paid. So it's kind of confusing, the news that you know came out last Tuesday. Very misleading.
2: Yeah, and I think the big thing is the language there is going to disallow schools from paying the players, which is totally fine. You know, as long as these athletes can make money off their own name, that's really the big thing. The NCAA to say, hey, no, you, you cannot make money off your own name. It's I mean, you think about, you know, the powerhouse school and how many Reggie Bush jerseys you would see, but it wasn't Reggie Bush, it was generic number five are you know, see. I mean, I even have, you know, somewhere buried in my closet is uh you know small to skate which is obviously to And the fact that the NCAA double to make money off of the players or the players can't make money off their own names, it's a little ridiculous. I mean you look at it like, you know, you and I, you know, we did Sacramento State, KSU. It's essentially like the school saying, well, you work for KFSU, so you're getting paid. So, you know, say the 49ers said, hey, we need you to do a broadcast. You can't do that. It's ridiculous because, you know, Sac State doesn't typically own us. all The NCAA did us. We should be able to do what we want to do. And the fact that these college athletes, I mean, especially look at some of the bigger names, you know, college sports today. I mean, even last year, Zion Williamson. Mm-hmm. He, he can't make money off his name, but that's just ridiculous because Simon Williams could almost single-handedly tarry college basketball last season. I mean, you, know, you had your good team, but everybody knew Simon Williams for the world, and the fact he couldn't make money off his own name, it just, it's just
0: crazy. Yeah, and what it does, too, there was an instance a few years ago, uh, one of the kickers at UCF, his name is Donald De La Hay, and maybe not too many people recognize that name, but he basically was ruled ineligible by the NCAA because he had a popular YouTube channel, he made a lot of trick shots, being a kicker, and so I think with this new rule too, it allow whether it's a kicker, quarterback, or anybody to kind of have that YouTube channel get paid off their likeness and stuff that's away from the school, like you mentioned it, it's away from the school, getting paid to, you know off their own endorsements, whether it's you know signatures or having youth camps, which they charge you know the youth to come.
2: Well, like even the crazy thing is too. I mean, you talk about the YouTube channel and all that. Uh, you know, these, these college basketball teams can to a half court shot, and get $10,000. And, you know, Becky, who is a accountant manager, I don't know, that's just a random one, uh, can get lucky and make this half court shot, and she'll make more money, you know, than Dion Williams made last year just for making one shot. And it's, it's, it's like they can pay these kids, you know, to hit half court shots, but they can actually typically pay them the kids you know, the money that they want, you know, it's, 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 it,
1: it, 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 it the NCAA looks crazy and they're not smart
0: in the situation. Mhm. And a few other states have a uh, kind of approved of California's passing of their law. Um, some states are going to follow very soon, Florida, Colorado, Illinois, Kentucky, along with Nevada, New York, Pennsylvania, just to name a few. But part of this what has really got the interest, especially, you know, people like you and I who appreciate a good video game, NCAA football. It stopped in 2014. That was the last edition of the model. It was ruled unfair. Um, it could be potentially brought back if this, you know, if the NCAA is able to work out a way for the athletes to get paid off their likeness, we could potentially see NCAA football return. How excited would you be if you saw a return of the video game?
2: Uh, I'd be very excited, real quick. though. No, I know this is just scrolling Twitter. Uh, Cap is placed on IR; uh, his season's over. Uh, so let, let me bring some news on the podcast for you. Uh, yeah, no, I, the video game, i am literally playing that is, it's, it's, If the college football games can come back, that would be fantastic. Um, I know, I know. Certain smaller develop, video game developers have tried to come out with college football video games without the licensing. Uh, so, like, I, I forget the exact studio, but uh, there's a new one that just came out. that was called Doug Flutie's Maximum Football. Mm. And it's a college football video game, but it doesn't have any of the licensing. So it's just generic college. college. So, like, the idea is there. The, the, the demand for college football games is there. I mean, the last one came out six years, six, seven years ago. Um, and I've been still trying to get, you know, my hands on a PlayStation 3 or an Xbox 360. Just <laughs> to play college football video games. I mean, they're probably some of the most popular video games there are. Uh, it's just, unfortunately, EA really cut corners trying to make money off these players. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, they got for it.
0: Yeah, and it's very different from the Madden series, too, where in a sense there's more teams available, different offenses, different plays. You get the whole, you know, they, they get the college crowds involved. And I like the dynasty modes and also the race for the Heisman modes. So... You know, where some people looking from the outside looking in, they're just like, oh, why don't you just play Madden? It's, a, it's the same thing. It's a football video game. It's a completely different playing style that if you haven't played both of them, it's hard to explain, but it's very different for the NCAA football from the Madden series.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, the big difference for me personally is, you know, the off-season stuff where you've got to figure out how to balance the checkbook at Madden, essentially, to figure out the salary cap and all that, where it's college football games. You know, there's nothing more fun than taking San Jose State, you know, and doing what you can and recruiting and trying to make them better and then get that invite to the Pac-12 mm-hmm. and try and become, you know, a, a perennial college football powerhouse. And Matt, if you can't really do that just just because, you know, the salary, you'll be good. You know, if you can have a good team two, three years in a row where, you know, college football, you can hypothetically be a dominant powerhouse even though if you take um, – Safer, I don't know. UF on a road, you know, different teams like that. Mm-hmm. I
1: mean
2: the college football games are always really exciting. They really did a good job getting the atmosphere of Saturdays when they're Madden and they're struggling getting the get Sunday atmospheres. Uh but you know, the college football games always did a fantastic job making it feel like, Hey, twenty six Florida in this game, the crowd's gonna have a different feel and huh. and you're really representative again.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's funny, too, you mentioned San Jose State because when playing dynasty mode for those NCAA football games, I I would always personally pick Hawaii, the University of Hawaii, as that team that I would, you know, start off with and hopefully eventually grow that program. And it was a lot of fun because, you know, Hawaii is in the whack and they're not a very big program. But as you start to win some games, like you notice over the years, you know, you you will get a little bit higher-level recruits and you try and, you know, compete with the higher-level teams. But it's a lot of fun because, like you said, you don't get to do that at the uh, Madden level.
2: Yeah, no, and, 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 and honestly, too, it's it's unfortunate because I, I mean, that's somebody who's played Madden. I think since got Madden 04, probably the first game I really remember playing. Uh, the series has really taken a step back because they don't have any more competition. You know, Madden is the only game with NFL licensing, so so you know you're not going to get your 2K kind of like 2K and EA Sports and EA Live you know, back in the heyday of that, they were competing with each other, which was like, they, 2K, such as this video game, you know, NBA 2K11 with Michael Jordan on the cover. Uh, but now, Madden's right, so not the same, and even 2K is not the same anymore because EA can't put together a football game anymore. Uh excuse me, a basketball game, and then they run out of the that and they canceled at
1: the
2: NBA line 20. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I don't think the worst case thing in this, the NCAA just sells the rights, if they allow it, the EA and 2K are two big publishers, so then we actually have competition, and maybe we'll actually get a good college
1: football game out of it. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, competition would be really good for the video game market, something to keep an eye on, just in, you know, as the NCAA tries to work out a way for these athletes to get paid off their likeness and you know potentially have an NCAA football game return. Moving on to the pro level, I mean, you just broke the news of Cam Newton. He's out for the season with the injury on the injured reserve with that foot injury. Very saddening, but two weeks ago, they had a, a big game against the San Francisco 49ers, a team that you're a big fan of, a team that you also write for on the Niners wire. How surprised were you by this 8-0 and start? Because I know you mentioned in the group chat, you, you had them finishing 8-8 and on the year. Already halfway through the season, they have that that win total that you predicted at the beginning of the year.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think my exact wording on the tweet. See if I can pull it up within the next three seconds here. uh, uh, You know, I looked at the Niners' schedule and they opened their season against you know teams. um, They opened against Tampa Bay, Cincinnati. Washington. Uh week three they had Pittsburgh, you know, which was a losable game because at the start of the season Ben Offelsberg was healthy. Uh Cleveland had all the hype and I have the tweet here. Uh they they have five winnable games. So I had Tampa Bay, Cincinnati, Washington, and then the two Arizona games. Uh, and then if they go five and oh in those games, uh to keep it in the playoffs you have to find five wins the other eleven games. Uh they only get three in my mind, which was Carolina, which they did end up winning. Uh, the Atlanta and the Seattle game at home, which is coming up this Monday. That was my 8-8, eight eight, but for them, too, obviously you get a little lucky with, with uh, better off as of missing the season, having to play Mason Rudolph.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh,
2: the Browns aren't exactly what we thought they were going to be, and I have opinions on the Browns as well. Uh, the Rams, you know, they're, they're still very good even though they didn't have Todd Gurley in, there, in that game. Uh, but you know, the Rams are the Rams. Or the Rams and you still can't take them for granted. I mean, you look at the two best wins of the 49ers seasons, and it might be the Rams and the Panthers game. The Panthers game, so then to go into that game, you know, going up against, you know, probably who should be the MVP favorite if you were the quarterback, Christian McCaffrey, mm-hmm. um, and to go in and win that game by 38 points. It's just it's amazing to see what they were entering um, the season because what, what people forget is you when know, people look at the surface of, Okay, well this team was two and fourteen last year, so what are they? When realistically entering last year, they were you know, if you remember, they were a team where it's like this, you know, the Niners could surprise team. They maybe be able to sneak it to the playoffs. Right. You know, obviously week three Garoppolo goes down with the ACL, all of a sudden they're two fourteen team. So it's not like this is your typical bad team turning it around. This was a good team last season who got bit by the injury bug actually playing up to their potential with added additions that both had before. So, 8-0 eight, eight, eight right now is a very, very good surprise. I didn't even expect them to be this good at their peak, you know, going into, I thought maybe they be 5-3, 5-4-4. And four and four. Mm-hmm. Um, but to be the last one to be the two in the NFL is something I don't even think the most diehard 49er fan would think.
0: Mm-hmm. and you mentioned it last year too i mean a lot of the times these 49ers were competitive in those games even though they did lose 14 of them i think a lot of people forgot how talented of an offensive play caller kyle shanahan is he was working with what his second and third string quarterbacks last season and even then they were still putting up a lot of offensive yards just the defense wasn't able to create turnovers or get off the field on key third down situations which leads me to the next question Because the defensive coordinator this year, Robert Sala, man, he's really stepped up, has this defense clicking on all cylinders. They're first in a lot of categories. They allow the fewest yards, fewest passing yards, fewest first downs. How did this defense kind of, from an outside looking in, how did this defense really just kind of flip the switch from year to
1: year?
2: Well, so the big question was the secondary, um, going into this season. The Forty ers defense only forced seven turnovers, which is an NFL record for fewest turnovers which a season. Uh and they only intercepted two passes, which is also an NFL low. Uh that, team, that never that number's never been met before, just two interceptions. Um, and so the big question for you know, John Rich and Kyle Shanahan, the guys who put the roster together. It was how are they going to improve the secondary? And there was a lot of good options out there. Free agency with, uh, with, uh, Phil Thomas, with Landon Collins, with Adrian Amos, you know, available free agent, good secondary players, DeAndre Baker, uh, to draft good players in the draft. And Santa Linda Lynch took a very, Interesting decision. They said, well, we're actually not going to add anybody in the secondary. We're just going to revamp a pass rush. We're going to bring in Quan Alexander, who's going to help solidify that weak linebacker side. Unfortunately, he has the pass he's out for the season now. Mm -hmm. We're going to draft if Bosa with the second pick. We're going to essentially sign Ford. You know, they had to trade for him, but, you know, if he was a free agent, they were going to be all in on him. So the way the Niners improved their secondary Was to improve the pass rush and, you know, to get to the quarterback. And that has absolutely paid dividends. Uh, Nick Bosa was seven sacks on the season already. Uh, Nick, uh, D Ford was five and a half. Eric can already has a career high five and a half. Um, I mean, they have 30 sacks on the season, which, you know, is I think closing in on last season's record, uh, total, which in turn has created a, A bunch of turnover opportunities getting pressure on the quarterback, and the Niners already have, you know, nine or ten interceptions on the season. Uh, Last season, the Niners only had, excuse me, I'm looking at stats of them doing this, 37 team sacks, as opposed to the 30 they already have. So that pass rush has already been improved. The interceptions, the turnovers, I mean, they had more interceptions in week one against Tampa Bay than they did all last season. And uh, the pass rush is a big reason, you know. Players like Richard Sherman can play a little more dangerously, um, you know, knowing they have a pass rush to back them up. Um, they already have ten interceptions on the season. That's what, what I was looking for. Um, so so really, the way the way Lynch and Shannon and it, they just have a lot of credit with building that pass rush to help the secondary.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, you mentioned rookie Nick Bosa. I think it was it was funny too because going into the draft, a lot of people question whether or not nick bosa was going to be healthy enough to kind of withstand the whole season we saw him get hurt at ohio state and then kind of him pull out for the rest of the year and we didn't see him at the tail end of the college football season but that kind of seemed to i don't want to say hurt his draft stock but it kind of seemed to be the story around him because everyone tries to make a story with uh any particular pick but like you said it really helped the defensive line and really the, the front seven around him. Guys like Eric Armstead, DeForest Buckner are really playing well, too. And, you know, to, to compare from team to team, I know it's a different situation, but it reminded me of the New York Jets. I mean, for a long time, the Jets had Leonard Williams, Mo Wilkerson and Sheldon Richardson at the defensive line, all first round picks. But together really couldn't do much. The Jets really hadn't turned it around and I thought the 49ers were kind of going to go down the same way because they had, you know, Solomon Thomas, DeForest Buckner, Armstead, all those guys in consecutive drafts, first-round picks that really hadn't panned out. Were you surprised that the addition of Bosa elevated their play so much this season? Yeah,
2: I mean, I, I don't think it's much a much surpri- of a surprise because we knew what Bosa was going to be. And, you know, Bosa was the consensus number one pick until Kingsbury came in and said, you know, I think Kyler Murray's more of a value pick at number one, you need a quarterback. So the Niners got a little lucky with that. Um also the addition of B four and house a lot. Um, but when you have guys, you know, three guys like Forster Upnot on the line, they're gonna get majority of the attention. So guys like Eric Armstead can come in and and you know, perform the way he's done. As I said, five and a half sacks up in career high as well, we have way to see um, so, so the ability to get those key players on the line is really helped. I mean, if you, I don't know how much you believe in the Pro Football Focus grading system. Uh, DeForest Buckner is the lowest graded defensive lineman. You know, he starts out of out of Ham, Ford, Armstead, and Bosa. He hasn't had a particularly bad season. You know, he he's on the year. Uh, if I could find it real quick, I'm trying to like look at these numbers. He has four sacks. 33 tackles, five tackles for a loss. It's Mm -hmm. not like he's having a bad season. It's just having a line with Nick Bosa and Dee Ford just makes that look significantly worse. Because Ford has five and a half sacks. Bosa has seven sacks and 13 hits on the quarterback. So to take your best part of your defensive line last season and all of a sudden he is the quote-unquote worst part of the line just kind of shows you how improved this defensive line is.
0: Mm-hmm. Now you mentioned it earlier, Quan Alexander, he's injured, he's going to be on the injured reserve, and he's no longer playing for the rest of the season. How do you think that impacts the 49ers' defense going forward, and who do you think steps up and kind of fills his role? Well,
2: Alexander was the heart and soul of the team. Um, the defense, especially in the start of the season, he got ejected in the first quarter of the first game in Tampa Bay, uh, he came back to week in Cincinnati. Played with his head on fire. Same thing with the uh, Pittsburgh game. He was, you know, he was for the first three games. He was the best player on the defense. Uh, he's kind of taken a step back the past few games. He's still second on the team in tackles, so it's not like he's having a season, but he's definitely stepped back. Excuse me, stepped back. The name that lost is fifth round rookie Drake, Three lost. He's going to step in and take over the weak-side linebacker role from Alexander. Uh, he's not as good in the past game as Alexander, so it'll be interesting to see uh, how he does replace um, Alexander. Um, he's seen a significant drop-off in snaps. Uh, that number has raised. He has 56 snaps played in week one. Uh, the most he's played since finished 29 in Alabama, Carolina. He had 27 last week in Arizona. Uh, so he started to see the field a little bit more consistently, but now he's going to have to step in and be a starter as opposed to just kind of a rotational player. So to see what he can do, he had a lot of hype going into the regular season of training camp as the fifth-round pick. Um, but now we really, you know, the Niners are going to have to see that potential out of him really sooner rather than later, especially with this cup matchup in Seattle
0: coming up. And now looking at the secondary two for the 49ers, they've allowed the fewest passing yards when really – at the beginning of the season, it, it kind of seemed like I said from an outside perspective looking in. If you're not a 49ers fan, you only rec- recognize that name, Richard Sherman. How important and how how big has the play from the other secondary members been for the 49ers this season?
2: Oh, it's been huge. I mean, Quan, or excuse me, Kwan Williams. Sorry, I was struggling with that. Kwan Williams has two interceptions out of the far. He's going to have his toughest matchup against uh, Tyler Lockett on Monday night, so that, that'll that be interesting to watch. Akello Witherspoon, who almost got ran out of town last season, he was probably on pace to be the best defensive back on this team before he got hurt. So then you get, a, like, Emmanuel Mosley comes in, a rookie, you know, did his first reps in the NFL. He comes in no problem, steps in, fills in a Witherspoon's role, um had an interception and picked the I think he was the first one to have an interception off of Tyler Allen this season mm-hmm. uh, I mean every every after I mean, excuse me Rodley was in one game last season um, I mean he, he just he, him stepping in and taking over Witherspoon's role like he did is just kind of unexpected and that's kind of what it's been with the 49ers is the depth has been surprising I mean I know you asked about the secondary but Joe Staley goes down against Cincinnati. Uh, Mike Grinchy goes down against, or not against anybody. He got hurt in practice. And you have Daniel Brunscholl, who was playing in the, uh, I it's called the AAF, whatever it was, that was, and Justin School, who was a you know rookie, stepping into these roles of you know the two important blockers on the offensive line, and they have been. Excellent, you know, in, in, in what they have done stepping up for these two big names. I mean, the sole worst game was against the Panthers uh, when he allowed the safety to Bruce Irvin. Other than that, he's been pretty solid. I mean, the Niners' probably load barely been back this season, and that's with two young players on the line. I mean, he's only been set 12 times, but less than twice a game. Um so so bringing it back to the defense, Emmanuel Mosley stepping in for, you know, Weatherspoon has been huge. Uh the safety position has been great. Uh Tavares Moore, you know, had a slow start to the season. He, he had a hard time preventing the big plays. Uh stepping in for Jimmy Ward. with Jimmy Ward, you know, he's come back healthy and the big plays have really been prevented other than that. And Isabel's uh eighty eight yard touchdown at the end of the game on Thursday night. And Tartson, you know, good, too. He has a couple pass deflects as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the secondary is the same secondary as the was last season, and, and they're just so much more improved. And, and it's had, it's
0: a lot of it has to do with the pass rush. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the crazy thing about this 49ers team. When you look at their injury report, they have a lot of guys up and down that roster and key impact players, two starters even, um, all over the field injured for the 49ers. So when they do get back healthy, I mean, this is... I mean, for the ones that are going to come back by the end of the season, when they come back healthy, I mean, this is the perfect time you want them to to come back because they have a pretty daunting schedule compared to their their first half schedule um, in, the, in the second half of the year. They have that Monday night game against Seattle, as you mentioned. Then they take on Arizona. They host Arizona, host Green Bay, then are at Baltimore, at New Orleans, host Atlanta and the Rams and back-to-back weeks, and then wrap it off. And Week 17 at Seattle. What are those games that you're feeling the least confidence in with these 49ers team? Well, the big one now, and
2: I'm a little more worried about, is that game in Baltimore. Uh, Baltimore kind of seemed like a bit of a gimmicky team. Uh, they're good. I'm not trying to say they're not good. But before that, that New England game, you know, they felt like a gimmicky team where Lamar Jackson is. You know, a quarterback that's going to move the pocket and run and be good, but not great. And then to see what he did against New England, um, which is eye-opening. I mean, he I, I knew he was good. I didn't expect that out of him. Um, the 49ers, you know, they, they faced Kerman Murray. He was the first mobile quarterback they played. And, the, the, you know, pass rush didn't exactly have their best game. So maybe it's a running quarterback thing. Maybe it's just, you know, a short week on the road. Uh, But that Lamar Jackson matchup is going to be very interesting to watch for this 49er team. Uh, The other game, obviously, is this Monday night against Seattle. The Niners have a two and a half game lead, I believe. No, Seattle only has two losses, so a game and a half lead on the Seahawks of the division. So if the Niners can win this game, you know, they'll be 9 0, three and a half up in the the division, I'm sorry, with seven to go. I mean, this is this is a huge game, and if Tampa Bay, if Tampa Bay could have beaten Seattle, you know, had the Niners have won that game and won, win the game on Monday night, you're talking about maybe the division being wrapped up with a four and a half lead with something to go, as opposed to three and a half. Or uh, excuse me, I'm sorry, that was way off. Um, it would have been a three and a half lead with something to go, not two and a half. Um, and nonetheless, it's a big game. Uh, you know, it, it's, this is the first time the Seattle 49ers have the top game since the hub on it. Uh, so, I mean, the Niners did get their first win against Seattle last season, late in the year, uh, which was a, seen as an upset. But if the Niners beat Seattle this week, it's not going to be an upset. You know, the Niners, I think, are the better team. And you turn around and look, and Joe Staley, Mike McGlinchey, and Kyle Juszczyk are coming back week so the Niners offense has you know their starters
0: coming back for probably the biggest game of the season Mm -hmm. and I think for the general publics too their confidence meter has to be up on this 49ers team because I think they received a lot of hate and very little respect and I'll admit I was a part of the problem too towards the beginning of the season then they beat the Rams in a convincing fashion and you're right they didn't have Todd Gurley the Rams didn't but they were still a very talented Rams team, a team that just came off a trip to the Super Bowl. Then they take on the Browns, and while the Browns, you know, have had an up and down season, the way they just dominated the Browns and really, I mean, held them to almost nothing offensively for that entire game, and really confused them. And then again, again, against Carolina, I think a lot of people, to the you know, the national media outlets, they all said Carolina going to be that first big test for San Francisco, and sure enough, the 49ers go ahead and beat them by 38. So I feel pretty confident for them going into this game against Seattle Monday night, especially uh, their hosting. I think that plays a large factor in it, too. Who are some of those key matchups you're going to be looking out for in that Monday night game with Seattle? Uh,
2: Well, the the first one is going to be Kaywon Williams against Tyler Lockett. Uh, Tyler Lockett's just something else out of the slot. Taywan Williams will probably have a lot of the coverage uh, on him. So see what he got I mean, Taywan did fine against Juju Smith-Schuster earlier in the season. Uh, he he's played well, but I don't know if he's seen anybody quite like Kyler Lockett. Uh, see what Nick Bosa does against Russell Wilson. Nick Bosa really, for the first time in a long time, was a non-factor against Arizona. Maybe that has to do with the uh, the ability to you know with Kyler Murray's ability to win the pocket. That's exactly what Russell Wilson is. He's gonna be moving around in the backfield a lot. So to see if Bozo can get to Wilson will be interesting. And then uh, just kind of my like go to matchup is just Jimmy Garoppolo. Uh, we saw something in him that we haven't seen all season and that was an ability to win a game. You know, a lot of the deep a lot of the season, you know, the wins, he hasn't had to do much He's just not make mistakes. Against Arizona, the running game wasn't what we expected it to be. The kind of the defense wasn't what we're used to. Garoppolo had to go in to win that game, and he threw a career high four touchdowns, uh, and 300 plus yards. So, Garoppolo, to see what he can do against a Seattle defense that isn't great, uh, this isn't the Legion of Boom anymore. This is a, a middle of the road defense. They do have Bobby Wagner. He's very good, but see if Garoppolo to, to continue what he did last week, uh, would be huge, you know, just to, not, not even just that the run game can't get anything going, but, you know, to see, to try to take pressure off the run game as well because the run game's done so much. Uh, and then to see what the Niners' defense could be without Quan Alexander and Drake Greenlaw stepping in. And that's going to be another thing to
0: watch for the Niners. Yeah, you mentioned Jimmy G and that offense really has taken it to another step. And we always knew the running game was good, uh, whether it was Matt Breida or Tevin Coleman. And you knew if you watched Kyle Shanahan when he was offense coordinator in Atlanta too, you knew he could run the ball but it just seemed like the 49ers didn't have that number one receiver to really open up the passing game for Jimmy G. They go and trade for Emmanuel Sanders the, the week before they played the Carolina Panthers, and that has opened up. It seemed like, from an outside perspective looking in, hasn't opened up, but how impressed are you with Emmanuel Sanders' fit into this offense and what has done for Jimmy G in the passing game? Um, it's it's done
2: wonders. I mean, it's not even... It, it, it's. To think about it like this, the best way to put it: uh, if you take out George Kittle, you know, you just look at true wide receivers on this forty nine er roster. So you take out Kittle, you take out Breida, you take out Coleman. Because the Niners used it a lot. Emmanuel Sanders already has the fifth most reception uh fifth most target out of the Niners receivers, so that doesn't seem like it's much. Um, he 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 already has eleven receptions. That matches Dante Pettis, Marcy's Goodwin, and Kendrick Bourne, they didn't have the Niners all season. Um, and then he has, he already has, looking at the numbers slide, uh, 137 yards, that's fourth on the 49ers. Uh, and, you know, Debo Samuel has 227, Marcy's Goodwin with 181, and Kendrick Bourne with 150, uh, 458. And Ankers already has two touchdowns, which is kind of a complete lead. And that's in two games. Mm-hmm. He's already the Niners' best receiver, head and shoulders. Uh, and, you know, obviously, taking can't away Kittle, because George Kittle is by far the best receiver on the team, but he looks caught the tight in for this exercise. Uh, so, so what he's done, really, not even just being a number-one receiver, but giving the Niners the illusion that they do have a number-one receiver, uh, it, it, it just, it, it's been great. He really has... In clutch, I mean, when Kittle was hurt with a knee injury on Thursday, he couldn't finish the game. And usually in those third down situations, Garoppolo looks for Kittle. I mean, as a matter of fact, you know, the, 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 in the Thursday game, Garoppolo threw his first completion to Kittle on a third down this season. Mm-hmm. I believe he was like fifteen for fifteen on target to Kittle entering that game, I think he had a couple incompletions. but uh, Sanders had a couple of couple of huge. Third down receptions in that Arizona game, including one kind of ice the game, pretty much ice the game away. So I mean, the I mean, the Niners don't have a second, third, or fourth round pick in this draft now because two of those picks went for Sanders, and it's looking fine right now because the Niners, for the first time since what, the Equan Baldwin, yeah, feel like they actually have a receiving threat on this team.
0: Yeah, it's been an immediately plug and play, and it's been really successful in taking that offensive, especially the passing game, to a whole nother level. So, the next question I wanted to ask you the head coach, Kyle Shanahan, I'm going to go ahead and say it. He's the best offensive play caller in the NFL right now. I've only been able to watch them play the 49 them then play the Los Angeles Rams this season, as well as the Carolina Panthers. And in both games, I saw plays that I had never seen called in an NFL game before. I mean, you as a 49er fan that probably gets to watch most, if not all, their games, how fun is it to watch Shanahan call offensive plays on a weekend-and-week-out basis?
2: It's been pretty fun to be able to see what he can actually do with, you know, a full season of a healthy team. You know, you got to see a little bit of his fun play calling, not much fun. You know, it's TJ effort and Nick Muller, a quarterback. You know, you kind of have to limit everything. Uh, The Niners' offense is really predicated on pre-snap motions and just kind of creating... Just kind of illusions essentially. They make you think one thing. I mean, there's a highlight in uh, the Carolina game, I think it sent it was the group chat, uh, where you know, they put a man in motion and Keekley followed the man on motion pretty closely, expecting uh, a jet sweep play because the Niners will mix those in and it ended up being a run play right to the spot where Keekly was taken or was taken out of because of the motion. And, you know, we see this on a week in week out basis and you know that play just felt a little different, just because Luke Keekley isn't your every average, you know, everyday linebacker. He's one of the best, if not the best linebacker in the league. Um, so, it, it really, just to see how creative. I mean, I think it was against Carolina as well. They had a like a play action shuffle pass screen play that I believe went for a touchdown. It's yeah. Like, who even who even thinks of that? Like, that's not even something I would do in Madden. <laughs> and to do it in an NFL game, nonetheless, it's just insane. I mean, there's, there's an argument that, that you know, Kyle kind of Shanahan could be the MVP of this team with his play calling. He's not been bad this season at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the issues from last season was when they have him going into the second half, his play calling would get a little conservative. I mean, the best example of that was uh, against Gunder last season, um, you know, because... Um, George Kittle had a 200 yards receiving in the first half, and the Niners took a three touchdown lead in the halftime. And it was the end they almost ended up losing, and Kittle had zero receiving yards in the second half, and Shanahan got really conservative. So they've had a lot of chances, you know, at, at halftime with big leads, and they get super conservative. But I believe they've only had one game this season where they haven't scored on the first drive out of the halftime. So Shanahan's just been, has been staying there. Excuse me. been very aggressive coming out of the half, which
1: has been a big change from last season.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think when it comes to looking at offensive coordinators around the league or play callers, everyone has their eyes on Sean McVay, on Cliff Kingsbury, or on Matt Nagy, or just different offensive coordinators or play callers, whether they're the head coaches or the coordinators around the league. But I think a lot of people, like I said earlier in the podcast, they just they kind of sleep and we kind of forget how good Kyle Shanahan was not only in San Francisco last year with the backup quarterback, but with Atlanta. I mean, he really took Matt Ryan and Julio Jones to new heights. Look at what they've done in the two, three seasons without him calling Mm -hmm. the offensive plays. It's been a whole nother level. And now the Falcons look like, you know, they're a team that's potentially going to blow it all up and, and you'll be tanking in the next coming years. So it's really, it goes a credit to Kyle Shanahan. I mean, going back to that Panther game too, there was a play where there was a bunch set on the left side of the formation and they motion a receiver from the right to the left side of the formation. Uh, Jimmy G takes a snap, fakes the pitch to the, the the jet sweep guy behind him. Then he fakes the handoff up the middle. And then he hands it off to Debo Samuel on that kind of like a trap play. He was on the inside of that bunch formation. And, you know, just like the pitch play, the shovel pass off the play action. I, I'd never seen that play call in the NFL. That's something that you would see like in a wing T offense in high school. And so when, when that play was called, I am like, oh my gosh, you know, the Panthers, since having Luke Kuechly, they've always been a really well-prepared offense, or excuse me, well-prepared defense going against opposing offenses, but they look completely, discon- you know, discombobulated, confused all day against the 49ers offense. Yeah, I mean, that's what
2: Traynor Head does, it's just, as I said, a lot of pre way you never really know who's going to get the ball. And, I mean, I, I, the big thing is sort of for this offense is the run game, and I'm fairly convinced that Kyle Sharon has to off a plan that you get me or you five yards a carry. I mean, you look at the Niners' <laughs> third running back, Raheem Foster, and he is at – let me look it up real quick. Uh, he has 5.6 yards per carry. And that, that's, you know, your quote-unquote third back. Wow. Um, and Foster's been pretty solid in coaching. Um, but I mean you look at the big three of the Niners running back, you can't really look at Jeff Wilson. He's only averaging three point one yards per carry. But he leads or he was leading the team with four touchdowns on the ground, but those were all goal line runs. He's not like it's a good for goal line running back.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: But Matt Breida is averaging five point three yards per carry. Kevin Coleman averaging four point three yards per carry. Rabine Monster averaging five point five. And I mean he's even mixed in three rushing attempts for George Kittle. I mean, what offensive coordinator in the league, uses a tight end <laughs> on one
0: play, Right.
2: So, I mean, he's just really... In the NFL, where you feel like the pass game is used exclusively, and then you set it up, you know, use it to set up the run a little bit, hopefully get it, you know, five yards a carry, whatever, Shanahan feels like the last guy who's really using the run game to set the pass game.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and it's funny, too, because, like, the NFL narrative, oh, the run game is a dying breed, you need a need a quarterback like Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, Drew Brees, guys who could really air it out And when instead, you know, even teams like Carolina, I think a huge reason for their success with their backup Kyle Allen is Christian McCaffrey and their ability to keep that consistent running game. You also look at the 49ers. You look across the NFC, too. The Minnesota Vikings are another talented um, talented team that could run the ball really well, which brings me to the next question, too, because the NFC seems like there's at least – Ten, maybe eleven teams that could legit make the playoffs and and be a very good team. Who really scares you as far as which team you don't think San Francisco necessarily matches up with well?
2: Uh, I'm just going to be generic, and my answer is I'm a little biased. I'm a Niners man, I think they can they can really beat any team in the NFL right now with how good they're playing. If their defense can play like they've been playing, you know, I think they're they stand a chance against any team in the NFL. But if, you know, said hey, you know, you have to pick. I would probably say New Orleans or Green Bay. I mean, there are two teams that, they have Aaron Rodgers and Drew Brees, you can never guarantee a victory against those guys. You can't sit there and say, well, the Niners match up very well against, you know, the Packers. I do think the Niners match up well against the Packers. Um, but you can't sit there and say, yeah, the Niners are going to have no problem with the Packers because Aaron Rodgers is Aaron Rodgers. And, you know, Drew Brees is Drew Brees. Right. Um, so I think those are the two teams that really will be competitive against the Niners for the number one seed in the, in the uh, conference. And maybe it's a nice thing about their schedule. Maybe it's a scary thing about their schedule. But in the next month, we're going to find out exactly how they match up because the Niners host the Packers and they go to New Orleans for the state
1: mm-hmm. So
2: ideally, they go into those games with an undefeated record still, so they don't really carry as much weight. Um. But, you know, those are going to be tough matchups and, and it puts, uh, potential NFC Championship games. So, and it, it'll be interesting to see and hopefully, you know, the Bears turn it around and figure something else and the Niners maybe play them in the NFC Championship game. So it'd be less scary. <laughs> uh, but the Packers and Saints still exist.
0: Yeah, and that's an interesting thing, too, that happened this past weekend because both the Saints and the Packers only had one loss on the year, which made it, you know, if the 49ers did go undefeated into either of those games later on in the season, and they were perhaps to lose to either one of those teams. It would roll home field advantage into the favor of the other team because they would have the tiebreaker you know, if they finished with the same record. But Green Bay did lose to the Chargers this past weekend, now giving them two losses on the year. So that kind of takes them a little bit down, as well as giving um a more comfortable lead for the 49ers in that pursuit of home field advantage, which I think is a very important because going to Green Bay in January would be really tough. Going to New Orleans in January is going to be really tough. So I think if the 49ers can lock down home field advantage for the entire NFC playoffs, that's going to be huge going forward.
2: Yeah, I mean, the, I mean, the Niners didn't play on Sunday. It almost ended up being a perfect weekend for them because the Packers losing, the Patriots losing, so now the Niners are the last remaining uh, undefeated team. If only Tampa Bay could have finished off Seattle, You know, there's three teams right there. I mean, obviously the Patriots are in a different conference, so it's not as important. more of a statistical thing, but if if Green Bay or if uh, Tampa Bay could have held on to beat Seattle, you're looking at two of the three biggest threats for the Niners losing in one weekend. And I would say if Tampa Bay would have held on to beat Seattle, uh, the Niners would have had a decent chance of maybe, you know, sort of putting the NFC West uh, away because Seattle would have three losses. Niners win that game. They move the three and a half up and then those will come Seattle comes
0: in with two losses. So. so let's take a look really quick too at the bigger picture for the NFC. Who do you think those six teams that reach the playoffs, because as I mentioned earlier, seems like 11 or 12 teams have a shot at it or gunning for it at least. But who do you think those final six teams are at the end of the season for the NFC playoffs?
2: Um. Yeah, I, I think the Niners are in. I think you got to pencil them in. No, oh. even if they finish, you know, four and four the rest of the season, that's 12 and four. That's going to get them a playoff spot. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether it wins the division, I don't know. But, you know, they're, they're going to be locked in for a playoff spot. Green Bay is going to be there as well. Green Bay is very good. I don't know what the hell happened against uh, the Chargers. Um, they just decided they didn't want to play. I don't know I don't know what it was, uh, but I still think Green Bay's going to be there. The Saints are obviously going to be there. So there's three out of the four division winners, which leaves the NFC East. I have a hard time seeing Dallas lose this division. I don't think Philadelphia is exactly what they thought they were going to be this season. I don't know what it is. They have the they have the offense to be good, but their secondary I don't think is good enough mm-hmm. to win a division. Uh, so I think Dallas comes out of that NFC East, and now we're talking about what six seven teams for two spots. Yeah. Um, I think you got to put Seattle in one of those spots. I think Seattle's very, very good. Then uh, you've yeah, yeah, five teams for one spot. You know, Carolina's going to be there. The Rams are going to be there. The Vikings. Uh, the Lions might even be able to if their defense can play a little better. Um, so I'm just going to take a pass for that sixth spot, and we'll figure it out in, in eight weeks because I don't want to make that decision right now. Uh, if, if you made me really make an answer, I have a hard time going against the Rams.
1: Okay.
0: Fair enough. Yeah, the Rams, especially two coming off that Super Bowl appearance last year, they have the most experience. I think as of right now, I believe Seahawks and the Vikings have those two wild card positions, but a lot of things can change in the final eight weeks of the year. So just to wrap up the show, when I first wanted to get into the broadcasting industry, I really didn't know how to get my feet wet. And you kind of helped me get into that via KSSU, the sports not the sports. The radio station, the student-run radio station at um, Sacramento State, and it's a beautiful opportunity. But I kind of just wanted to follow up with you and see kind of like what opportunities you have had and where have you progressed in your you know pursuit of the broadcasting industry, something that we're both interested in after graduating Sacramento State. Yeah. So my my big thing uh,
2: was working for Sports 1140 K. Uh, I, did, I did writing for that. They do the Kings, they do the Raiders, they do the A's, they do a lot of games, uh, which which then gave me the opportunity to be able to write for Niners Wire on uh, USA Sports Media Group website. And, uh, you know, if you, if you have a chance, you know, go, go follow that website because, uh, you know, I help with Kyle Madsen, uh also a former sports director at Kansas here. Um he he does a lot of the work on our website, and then it, and it's, he does a great job with it. So uh, that's Niners dot com, follow us on Twitter at the Niners Wire. Um, but it, it's 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 a lot. We do a lot, and it's it's been fun. Um, you know, and I, a lot of this would have been done without KSU so kind of giving me the idea of what it's like to work in the sports media. You know, we did a lot of basic stuff at mm-hmm.
1: Um
2: but, you know, it gave us the idea of what it's going to be like. And, you know, being able to write a Niners bias has been, it's been a blessing. Um, it's been fun, you know, to actually watch the Niners and work. It's kind of, you know, what's up state that I don't really like. You know, if you don't don't see it as work, it's more fun if you're not really working, whatever it is. Uh, it's, just, it's been fun doing it. So.
0: Yeah, of course. Getting paid to watch and write about your favorite team always sounds like a great idea. Uh, what, what has been some of like the toughest challenges, I guess, that maybe something you didn't realize while in college now that you've you know trying to break into the industry, what are some of those tougher challenges that you maybe didn't see or expect? Uh,
2: you run into a lot of walls. I mean, um before I started with a position at KHDK, they that didn't really allow promotion assistance to write. Mm. So I really had to make a push to be able to let people write, you know, we lower people to write for the you know, website. Um, of you, you there's a lot of unexpected things you got to go through, especially in today's media world where you know, it feels like everybody has a blog. Um, so just trying to find a topic to write about that nobody else has really talked about, you know, because everybody has an opinion and everybody has access to a blog nowadays. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's probably even the biggest one is just that. mm mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, even with the podcast industry, I mean, I have my podcast and the biggest thing I like to do is kind of, you know, float around from topic to topic, have different guests on each show and really branch out because I just, I've learned that the sports podcast market is so, so flooded with different podcasts. And I mean, you know, via Twitter, I'm sure, you know, people, you see the different podcasts that are out there. There's been podcast networks to reach out to me as far as starting team podcasts, like team specific podcasts whether it's the Panthers or some other team that they asked me to do. But, you know, for me, it's like, how do I stand out when there's already 10 other Panther podcasts out there or there's, you know, 20 different Rams podcasts. And so it's it's really, you're right. Like, it seems like everyone has a blog because the Internet makes you know everything very accessible. So just kind of you got to be able to sell yourself. I guess that's the biggest thing I've learned is because I was always kind of a shy kid, not really putting myself out there in front of people necessarily all the time, which it's kind of funny because, like, that's what you need to do in this industry. But, I mean, that's the biggest thing for me is just learning to put myself out there more, be more acceptable with rejection because I think, you know, I would always take rejection pretty hard. But, you know, you you got to learn that you're going to be rejected a few hundred times before you get something really good in this industry. And, you know, that's been an adjustment for me for sure after college. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's,
2: it's, it's going in the here for you where you know, they don't really have much of a sports presence, you know, really being able to come up a crowd right the and just kind of yourself, uh, really, you know, it was nice, but that's not how it is realistically out there in the real world, so, um, yeah, but I've been so for a few days where we, we had our hour platform on the radio and where really we just kind of decided whatever we wanted to do that day. I and mean, whatever we had our show together, I mean, how much planning did we really put into it, mm-hmm. you know, it was just more of a... Hey, here's the idea I have. Let's just run with it and that's kind of what it's been. Well realistically you can't do that out there in the real world. You
0: gotta really have a question yeah. everything. Exactly, yeah. I know it's been a while since we've caught up, but what's your angle as far as like in the industry trying to get into writing, broadcasting, behind the camera, radio? I mean, what's what's your end goal? Um, you know, honestly
2: it's changed a bit here and there. I don't necessarily know what the end goal is at this point. Um, I can say that I'm enjoying what I'm doing now. Uh but but you know, well, see where it goes. I, I really I've never really been an equal type of guy. I've never really drawn out a map of where I want to go. I just kind of let the opportunities take me where I want to go or uh, should me, take me where they want to take me as opposed to what I want to do. So I've never really once thought of myself as a person who'd be able to write for a USA Today sports media group website, but here I am. I' never thought I'd be the person to, you know, if you reached out to from, you know, a Fox Sports radio station in New Mexico, yeah. asking my opinion on the 49ers, mm-hmm. and, you know, that's just kind of what
0: I've been. Yeah, I listened to that, by the way. That was really cool to hear you do that. And, you know, you know, just as, like, an older person now, I, like everyone, we mature after, you know, high school and college, I just really want to say thank you for, you know, helping me get my foot in the door, just yeah. kind of helping me be really relaxed behind the microphone because I... You know, before I called you, I was actually uh, reminiscing on the first time, the first football game that we did together. I don't know if you remember exactly, but, or actually, I don't know if it was the first football game, the first uh, basketball game I did with you. And uh, I was just really rough behind the microphone. I was really nervous because I'd never done anything like this before. But, you know, you really kind of broke it down to a basic standpoint. And it's, you know, just only gotten better since there. So I really want to thank you for all the help, you know?
2: Oh yeah, of course, man. The basketball is probably the worst. Spot. See, I think your first ever one with a girls' game too.
1: Yeah,
2: and uh, with the way facts say, man, I I just gave up on telling you what players were on the court. <laughs> the time. They did a lot of the, uh, a lot of the mass substitutions about the, the, the girls' games are a lot harder than the guys' games, but they're also a lot more fun. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, it, it was a pleasure having you. Um, you know, the football games, in the basketball games, and uh, it was really fun. It was a good time, and uh, I wish we had a chance to call the uh, football games now. The track state's
0: actually uh, a really good team. So. Yeah, yeah, they hired a new coach, and all of a sudden, they, you know, that program's really taking off, and they're they're winning in like very convincing fashion too. So it seems like you know the program's really heading in the right direction. That's that's a lot of fun because I remember, I believe it was my senior year as a sports director. Doing games with Alec, and uh, I think I did one game with Chris. It seems like every game, because you know how they had the record book, the big media guide packet. It seemed like yeah. every game the opposing team set a new rushing yards against Sacramento State record. I mean, one from Cal Poly, then Montana State broke it the next week, and you know so on and so forth. It was it was a pretty rough year. I remember back in 2000, uh, 2016.
2: Yeah, no, um, but just to see what they're doing now with the color trading and all that stuff, uh, you know, it's it, it, it's good to see them. I mean, they, I mean, I, I, then again, you know, we we got a pretty good relationship with Darnell Frankie out of it, so too bad. Yeah,
0: yeah, of course, very cool.
2: The charge, char- unrelated to everything, the Chargers just posted a tweet. Let's see, scene from um, Wolf of Wall Street with DiCaprio going, I'm not going anywhere. Uh, I guess in response, in response to uh, the
0: rumors of them maybe going to London. <laughs> Man, the good old Chargers. I don't know. I feel like my. I can. We're probably going to go our whole lives, and the Chargers are never going to be accepted anywhere because they're definitely not. You know, yeah. they're probably the the tenth most popular team in Los Angeles right now. I can tell you that.
2: Yeah, I know. Here, here's a fun quote. Can I toss on this podcast?
0: Or I it? No. Yeah. Go ahead.
2: Chargers owner Dean Spanos on his team potentially moving to London, quote, it's total fucking bullshit. We're not going to London, we're not going anywhere. We're playing in Los Angeles. This is our home, and this is where we're planning on uh this is where we are planning to be for a long fucking time. Period. Damn. Then go.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> well good yes, luck
2: this will all be funny in three years under the St. Luce Chargers.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think you said that in the in the group chat, yeah. I think that'd be a very realistic uh, situation um, for them going yeah. forward <laughs> well again really thanks uh, really appreciate your time Andrew and thanks for hopping on the show oh
2: yeah of course give me a
0: call that's gonna do it for episode 79 I'm Noah Alvarez you've been listening to the My Mike and I podcast wanna remind everyone that this podcast is available on Spotify on Apple on TuneIn Stitcher Google Play SoundCloud big heads podcast network don't forget about them too really appreciate them for putting us on so yeah it's available on too many different platforms there's no excuses for you not to listen so really appreciate it too if you guys left a rating and a review also subscribe also hit that follow button share us with your friends who you think will like the show we have different guests too i know this one was a very sports heavy podcast But we do a lot of other stuff, too. A lot of other topics on this My Mike and I podcast. We try and jump around, get different guests. And if you're interested in being on the show, hit me up on Twitter, at underscore Noah Alvarez, or hit me up on Instagram, at Noha underscore Alvarez. Hit up the My Mike and I page on Instagram, at my period Mike and period I. I'm I'm planning shows with a couple local rappers, too, in the near future. So I have a, a lot of different things, and I want tons of different platforms and different perspectives perspectives and people of different professions on this show so if you feel like you have something to offer to this show don't feel afraid to reach out to me greatly appreciate it guys much love to generic sports for producing the dope instrumental in the background all right this has been noah alvarez of the my mike and i podcast signing off till next time